Welcome to the Tree of Palma. Back up. Tree of Palma. Prima Palma. Leave that. <laughs> Welcome to the Tree of Prima podcast, a podcast about Freemasonry and the Western esoteric tradition. I'm Pat with Jamie and Jake. Hi. Hey. And uh, we today are going to be doing um, part two of astrology. Yeah, we're gonna get <clears throat> we're gonna get into technique now. Yeah. Part so, one we did philosophy. We did some philosophy, we did some history. Well I should swap those. We did history, then we did philosophy. We provided a little bit of rationale for some things. We have a, we had a little bit of argument. It was great. And yeah, it, and we showed how like we were saying in the break, um if you decide to investigate astrology, you will absolutely come up against some of the biggest philosophical issues that there are. And if you're serious, you will have to learn how to navigate those, right? And and you will change your mind. Like, that's been my experience anyway. It's like, I've had... You know, and I'm willing to have my mind changed again, and I think that's important, right? Is that it shows you that instantly, with if you approach it with any degree of seriousness, you find that instantly you have to address these fundamental kind of problems, right? And figure out where you stand with them. And then you figure out, then you readily realize that um, either like shit, I don't know, or you you think you know, and then you find out a month later you've completely changed your mind. So it's healthy, it's rigorous, you know. It's like really the only place in what we now call esotericism where there's that degree of penetration and rigor and like this constant um reevaluation you know which i think is the healthiest thing and that's why i'm so enamored by astrology is because it's provided me with the impetus to have to actually think about shit you know what i mean to have to actually think about my worldview and my worldview has definitely changed Mm. you know and it's not only changed but it's become malleable i bet a lot of astrologers would would also say that astrology continues to enamor them the more one practices astrology the the more it will continue to sort of blow your mind. I think there's plenty of astrologers who have had decades under their belt of delineating charts who who are still sort of blown away at, at some of the results. Yeah, it's an inexhaustible well. Yeah. Okay, so we should probably kind of <clears throat> remind listeners kind of where we're all coming from here. Jamie, this is, Jamie and Jake, this is a huge passion for you. For me, I'm... I really know very little about astrology. So today, you guys are going to kind of walk me through 
what this is all about. How how that what a, what a, how it works. What a, how it works. What a needle chart is. What um. Yeah, so what you're I, what you're doing? General, what is yeah. it you're looking for? What is it you're doing when? Well, Jamie's got a great analogy. Okay, let's. Oh hear yeah, it. yeah. Let's start with this. I did not write this analogy. This is. I don't even think we know the author of this analogy. So if we're talking about what astrology is, besides its definition as being the sympathy between the celestial and terrestrial spheres. You know, how celestial events and phenomena are mirrored on the terrestrial sphere. That's just like your typical Webster's kind of approach, right? But there's a, a deeper level to that. And that level is um, <clears throat> kind of what are the component parts of astrology? So last time we talked about some of those bigger picture philosophical historical ideas so this time we intend to get into um <clears throat> a little more nuts and bolts and the best way to penetrate that that i've ever seen or read is the theater analogy so the theater analogy goes like this in the theater you have actors on the stage. Let's say, you know, regular theater, not the cinema, but the theater. You have actors who are on the stage who represent a certain thing. You know, they're actors and they have their own persona, right? Th these actors are in wardrobe. They're wearing costumes of some sort, right? They're in some way decorated with their... Uh, characteristic um, you know clothing that makes them what they are like a civil war outfit or something like that they're details details right and these actors are in they're on certain sets you know there are there's set design and the movement of sets and things like are you in a library or are you on the battlefield etc these are the sets. And then the actors have dialogue with each other. So these are the four basic components of theater, really. Actors in wardrobe, on sets, and how they interact with each other. So actors, archetypal concentrations. Um, Such as what? Like what are... What are couple of those archetypal concentrations just to give examples there are several different types and i'm going to argue that they're largely planetary right so we're just talking about actors in wardrobe on sets and how they interact okay. through dialogue this is directly a sort of one-for-one -one, uh comparison on how astrology works because the actors are the planets the planets are archetypal concentrations. Like when I say Mars, we all get the idea that somebody is a soldier of some kind or or they are aggressive or manly and masculine and fiery, right? For example, Marshall, Marshall right? Mars. Um, <clears throat> so every planet has that range and scope of what they embody, right? 
And just as the actors are in wardrobe, well, the planets find themselves in signs. And the signs are sort of the wardrobe that colorize that archetypal concentration. Signs being... Um, things the zodiacal signs, okay. the 12 zodiacal signs. You know, Aries, Taurus, Gemini, Cancer, Leo, etc. You know? <clears throat> and um, you have actors in wardrobe, so you have planets in signs, and then you have sets and the sets upon which the actors play out their dramas are the same as the the houses in astrology because the houses in astrology are these existential domains of action these arenas of action the areas of life in which these zodiacally conditioned planetary archetypes play out in their life like like the second house would be finances the fourth house is parents the seventh house is relationships the tenth house is status and career you know so there's these areas of life in which the zodiacally conditioned planets play out and these are the sets or analogous to the sets and then the dialogue that actors have between each other are the aspect relationships that planets have with between each other as they are arrayed around the ecliptic. The ecliptic, what is that? <clears throat> so the ecliptic is the apparent path of the sun and the planets as seen from the earth. You know, you're standing here on the earth... And you notice that the sun and the planets are essentially, um, you know, it's sort of an optical illusion. But you see that the sun and the planets are diurnally on this certain path, right? They're, they're within this certain bandwidth of space, right? A belt. A belt. All the way around. Yeah. So let me just consolidate all of that by saying... Actors in wardrobe on sets and their dialogue is analogous to planets in signs in houses and how they are aspected with each other. Does that make sense? Yes. So, so kind of what I'm hearing is you've got, you've got the planets moving um, and... They're they're the actors. They're 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 the the main characters. And then then there's um, kind of the different different things that they're wearing. The different details about their character would mm -hmm. be um, the, in, the the where they are in the different signs and in the, whether they're whether they're in Gemini or whether they're in Leo Leo or, or whatever. Right. And then uh, this this stage, the houses, the houses are, are the the stage kind of where it's happening and whether that's that plays playing out at uh, in a home or whether it's playing out in a workplace or whether it's playing mm -hmm. out in a, whether that that stage is a romance exactly that kind of thing and yeah, then exactly and then you've got uh, the dialogue that's happening between them and that's just kind of um, whether that's uh, antagonistic or romantic Precisely. or, or sure. comedic or whatever. Uh, yeah, I mean, from the from the broadest perspective, 
is it good or bad? Okay. Is the dialogue... Um, are they friends? Are they enemies? Are they antagonistic? Exactly. Are, are they, they consonant? Are they dissonant? Right. And that, and that kind of ties into some of that um, um, archetypal preconditioning that we were talking about in the previous episode when Jamie's talking about the soul as the soul makes its descent here to the sublunary sphere. Um, it picks up certain vices and virtues, and uh, those relate... <laughs> To the planetary sphere, so he's talking about how the planets ha- all have, you know, positive, negative, and and neutral attributions. And as you sort of pinball down those spheres with your dime, your your guide, your diamond, you pick up those vices and virtues, and those to some extent can be seen and conceptualized as your as your predispositions through life. Yeah, hence the natal chart. When a person is born, there is a snap. So this is a great place to kind of begin. The natal chart. Everybody learns astrology by looking at their natal chart. You can get on astroseek.com. Hopefully you put in traditional natal chart calculator or something in Google because you will definitely get to astroseek's free natal chart calculator. Yeah, and they have a traditional And they have a traditional button. calculator. Right, as so, opposed to modern, or as opposed to yeah, as opposed it, to modern, it presets which can, traditional settings as yeah. as to say like it it'll 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 set the chart up with whole sign houses and traditional planets and all, and all okay. that sort of thing. Right. So, hopefully, if you're interested in astrology, um, you go to and you don't have a program on your computer or whatever that you bought. Uh, you can go for free to AstroSeek's traditional chart calculator and um, you just punch in your natal data, which is to say the the date, the time, the exact time. The date, the exact time, and the location of your birth. That's all you need. You just need the day that you were born, the exact time. Because that's very important because that's setting your houses, the sets in which these zodiacally conditioned planets play out and and the location where you were born. Because it changes if you're, you know, longitude, terrestrial longitude and latitude, it changes kind of some of the angles. So if you can fill that out then um, you can take a look at your natal chart. And the natal chart, like Jake was saying, is a schematic of your character. You know, because it, 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 it diagrammatically portrays the sort of position of the planets in signs and houses and how they are aspected. And that tells you kind of what baseline characteristics you have if you believe in the doctrine of astrology, right? It, it shows you kind of what where your Mars is. If your Mars is in a house and a sign in which he's unhappy, you're not going to get the best Mars significations, you're not going to get the best out of your Mars, you know? 
everybody's just dealt the hand that they're dealt. That is the case. You've engaged a cycle by being born. By being born, you've engaged a cosmic cycle. Let you me know? touch on that for a second. Yeah, go ahead. Real quick. So <clears throat> j- just to add some more context to that point, the um, Hellenistic astrologers, uh, at least the the um, generally accepted understanding of how they would have uh, kind of perceived this is that the soul really takes the the wheel at the moment of birth. So the the soul after that descent that we've already talked about, we talked about this descent at that snapshot, which is the moment of birth. The soul takes the wheel. However, they would also say that there's a certain point before that where the soul uh, might make its descent into the body prior to maybe actually taking the helm. And that would either be the new or full moon prior to um, prior to the actual birth. And that's important and, and not too in the weeds, I think, because it, because the sublunary sphere is that is that sphere right before the soul makes its final descent to the earth, right? Yes. Yeah, so so what clear- they would say is that at the moment, at the either the new or full moon prior to your birth, your soul makes its final descent into the body, and that it takes the wheel, it takes the helm, it takes the driver's seat at the moment of birth. Just to just to kind of add some more context. Well, yeah. That. Does that make sense? So it's. Technically, it's called the prenatal syzygy. And that's where, after that soul comes down, guided by its daimon, through the seven planetary spheres, before you are born, before the native is born, the soul and the body are yoked together at the prenatal syzygy. And that prenatal syzygy is... The new or full moon immediately preceding birth. Right? Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I think. So, <clears throat> I don't even know where to, where to go next, guys. Well, <laughs> there's, there's a few directions. Um, Jamie already kind of touched on a lot of them, but just, just to like... I. We definitely don't have the time um, to get into like all the associations for all the signs and all the houses and the planets and that sort of thing. But sure. so, breaks, I think it's important to say. Go ahead. I was gonna say just kind of break some of that down then. So, sure. So, uh, well, I wanted to highlight some differences from from sort of the modern conception. Oh, yeah, go for that, it. That separates um, the technique. So last time I talked about the fact that, that just like Kabbalah or Hermeticism, there's a technical and a philosophical side. And um, the technical side of, of traditional astrology is a lot, um, a lot richer than maybe the modern conception in that, uh, well, and that there's a, there's a kind of a handful of things. So to, to get into it... Um, we already talked about last time how it's not merely a psychological endeavor. That that, um, however, there's some that, objectivity that, to it, right? That there are psychological aspects, but that's that's not it, right? Um, I think the main thing, or the first thing to to point out, is that um, 
or at least to drive home maybe in this podcast is that uh, there are good and bad circumstances in a chart um, point blank period. I mean, you're born with planets that are going to be uh, uncomfortable in their positions or it's likely that you are born with planets that are going to be uncomfortable in their position based on a, uh, based on a few things. And there are also going to be planets that are, that are, um, say more comfortable at the moment of birth as well. So right off the bat, it's not like every planet is neutral and, um, you know, you kind of work with them to, um, become more aware of your ego, this or that. It's, it's more of, um, Hey, this is where my, this is likely where my weaknesses are going to be throughout life, or this is where some of the more um, unfortunate circumstances are going to play out. Okay, let's and, let's let's. So wait, I've got a thing to do that. Okay, is I got an analogy for that. Okay, which is a seven-band graphic EQ on your stereo. Okay, let's say you're on your stereo. You know what a graphic EQ is, mm-hmm. right? Let's say it's a seven-band graphic EQ. Okay. Where you can adjust the faders for each one of those seven bands. Okay. Right? When you're born, that EQ is set. Each of those seven kind of bands are set at a certain level for each of them. And they're different. Mm -hmm. And everybody has kind of a different one. Right? So... When you're born, your EQ levels are set at a certain point, right? So there's there's some deficits and there's some reserves, you okay. know? Um, so I'm not saying the project of astrology is to get everything at a flat level, zero hertz or whatever. But I am saying that everybody has this seven-band graphic EQ, essentially. And those seven bands are the planets and everything those planets represent. Do you have your Venus totally cranked? Um, Do you have your Saturn just totally buried in the mix, like nothing going on? Okay. You know, like that's what's good that's what happens and you're just born with that haphazardly you've engaged that cycle by being born you have engaged a cycle that is going to play out you know because just like any moment in time it's a marker in time the natal chart let's say or any astrological chart is represents a moment in time a precise moment in time to the minute. I, I that that analogy with the uh, the seven bands on EQ? EQ and and you know a song. I think that that's that's really working for me to understand because you know we've all heard a song that maybe has a little little too much drum or has has too much. You know the vocals aren't quite it's up too as high. It's too mid rangey. Yeah, this guy's a little too uh, late all the time, or it, that uh, that gal it, it, and, is a little too little too um, untrustworthy. Yeah, or or that that song the the lead guitar is kicking ass on that song. Yeah, but but exactly. maybe but maybe it's buried in the mix. Maybe it's married in the mix. Yeah. So okay, I I think that's that's making sense with with a sense of people. There's different right. deep, people have their 
this person may be really loud, but they're also very sensitive. So and that's yeah, your planet. So that's kind of what you're talking about. So yeah, everybody has that schematic mm-hmm. of character. And that's based on really what we call dignity. Uh, a lot of that is is based on a planet's dignity in the chart. So if if a planet, um, to, to try to keep it in that analogy, if a planet's got a lot of dignity... It's cranked. It's cranked. So there's there's some terminology that we'll tr- sprinkle in here and there, maybe that we'll try to explain. But essential dignity is really important, and in fact, a lot of astrologers will quickly try to determine the the essential dignity of of the planets to, by assessing its condition, by assessing the planetary conditions, so they can so they can quickly determine who who's really creating the most influence in the chart okay so so that's funny what no that's super important what jake ended on there which planet is kind of guiding the chart you know which which i wanted to kind of yeah work it into one of your other your previous analogies of, of it being like a like a play like a movie okay so are there are are there yeah well i guess so, so it's like who's the main yeah. character and then it's are there are there character like are there characters in this play that don't get along are there characters yes. in this way yeah. that that Necessarily. that are like sidekicks i mean is that how it kind of works or? yeah yeah okay so g- give me some examples then who who doesn't do get along take it? all right i'll start you wrap you will back okay. and forth this however so um I'm going to give a real quick and dirty on some of how this is determined. And the first thing, it's really simple. It's whether a chart is a day chart or a night chart. That's really going to blow open a lot of how... Meaning were you born during the day or when the sun was below the horizon? That's simple. Okay. So a day chart means you were born during the day and a night chart means you were born born during the evening. Now, certain planets... Uh, prefer to be in a day chart and certain planets prefer to be in a night chart um i don't think we should probably get too in the weeds on on who is is happy where and all that sort of thing but generally um the quick and easy way to think about it is the small rocky planets and remember planet means wanderer so when we say planet we're talking about the seven ancient planets who include the luminaries the sun and the moon so that's why i said a seven band eq because we really in traditional astrology we use the seven visible planets seven visible wanderers planets and they wander because they move against the sphere of the fixed stars in the zodiac like we explained in the episode on hermetic cosmology right so certain planets um have a better time or or rather have the home team advantage in a day chart in a day chart those would be the big gassy planets you can probably intuit who is the ruler of those right the sun probably rules the day right and and the big gassy planets prefer to be in a day chart as were the small rocky planets led by the moon probably right um sort of have home team advantage in the night so that's a really quick way to determine um at least from a high level who's comfortable and who's uncomfortable and that gives you at least a starting point um to determine okay who who is going to be my most benefic planet who is going to be 
who is going to provide me with the uh, the the best fortune and to, at least to keep it within the you know sort of terminology of astrology we'll say fortune and and who in my chart is going to provide me with the, the the least amount of fortune or the hardest sort of uh, fortune let's say or the worst bad fortune um so as opposed to modern astrology again just to kind of wrap that up is that there there are there are planets that are decidedly happy in a chart and there are planets who are decidedly uh upset in a chart unless you've got an amazing chart you know that looks like the theme of mundi or something where everyone's right in their home right in their joy right in their domicile and and doing great which is probably unlikely um so so to quickly touch on that because we ended with that the last time is with the the theme of mundi the theme of mundi you can look up just look up theme of mundi just like it sounds it's it's the birth chart of the world and we know that because so many of our ancient sources refer to the theme of mundi as as a source of, of sorts and um that's really where we derive our doctrine our our doctrine of of um, who's happy where or who's at home where who's comfortable where um, so what do you think where do you want to take well, that? I, I, I still kind of would like a couple examples so like, okay I'll tell you I've got one that I think okay. will fit all right um, so just like we said the planets were the actors mm-hmm you know, um, and and the signs were the wardrobe. Well, some of those wardrobes, some of those outfits don't fit on every planet, you know? So you might get a big fat planet like Jupiter who's not going to get, who's not going to fit in a nice little skinny outfit that Mercury might wear, you know? So you're going to get some dissonance there about the, the planets fitting in the wardrobe, right? Or the actors fitting in the wardrobe. Right. Okay. Or the planets fitting in the sign. There's some there's some like problems there, right? They right. don't always work out. They're not always comfortable. And to bring it to the sort of Aristotelian place, you know, each planet has a quality. Like Jupiter is, you'll have to take my word on this, but Jupiter is hot and moist, right? Um, Venus is cold and moist. Um, Mercury is cold and dry. You know, these are just the qualities of those planets, Aristotelian qualities. So they don't fit right in certain signs, you know? Like if you have... The moon, who is cold and moist, in Aries, who is uh, hot and dry, it's just not a great fit, you know? It's like, it's uncomfortable, right? So you get these sort of um, qualitative, temperamental fits, and there's a logic behind all of it. That's the beauty of astrology, is that there's a logic it's more intuitive than you think yeah and it's you could probably think about it and reason the whole thing out because it is intuitive in that sense right 
but it's based on some of the mo- some of our most primitive ideas of what is good and what is right and what is beautiful you know what what is you know beautiful true and good these ideas penetrate the fundamental ideas of astrology hmm. what is beautiful the, the what is good what is truthful you know these things are really embedded in our our astrological ideas you know so it's um it's a really tight system i mean it would take too long to explain it right now but the planets and the signs there are definite relationships and they are logical and they make sense you know the more you look into them you see that there's just a tightness to this whole system yeah you know and they're not the same so that's another thing that's important to know as opposed to the the common what's referred to as like the 12 letter alphabet system houses are not the same as the signs that are not the same as the planets so these are all separate uh separate pieces of the puzzle if you will and are they Um, all moving too are the the so the houses are fixed they're part of the fixed right and and let's just be clear uh that this is a geocentric endeavor so wait wait georeferential geocentric georeferential there's a huge difference it's from the perspective of the earth of the earth and more specifically from the from from the native sure yeah the location being very important but uh, but wait let's please let's clear that up astrology is not geocentric it is georeferential, and there's a big difference because if you say astrology is geocentric, then you're against the Copernican revolution, and astrology has nothing to do with that argument. You know the Copernican revolution when all of a sudden they figured out that the Earth was not the center of our solar system, that, it, that we're just a satellite around the sun. Well, astrology does... No violence to that at Fair all. Fair enough. I think the listener understands. So the I think they would understand that astrology is from the perspective of the Earth. Because the Earth is the locus of human consciousness. Right. So that's important to note. It might have been obvious to some, maybe not to others. Not but, to others. But um, this is from the perspective of the Earth and, more, and even more minutely the perspective of the native. And the native is the, the 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 person receiving you know a natal chart examination or a natal chart delineation so so i have one qu- this might be a dumb question but i <clears throat> i I've, I've thought it three or four times so i'll say it out loud so when we were talking about what you needed to know in order to find your natal chart was you needed to know your your birthday the exact time and then the location where yeah um so but because think, that fixes that relationship between the terrestrial and celestial spheres. So I think a lot of people would probably know, you know, what what day, you know, everyone knows their birthday. But I think, a lot, you know, some people might not know if they were born at 12, 15. Well, then they're, or, then they're or, fucked. Are they fucked? Okay. <laughs> well, that was my no, question. You, is you won't how, know your houses. So. How different, how different, how, I mean, how, 
It is very it's, it's, different. That it's, moves it's, everything. Like that's a huge a one hour difference. That's a huge metric. Everything. So huge. for that, yeah. for those unfortunate people who Your don't, houses are totally and and up. if your parents tell you uh, you were born at six a.m. thereabouts, huge problem there. Always get the exact minute of your children's birth. Always. So we have ratings for that in astrology. Like a double A rating means it's from the birth certificate and it's pretty reliable. An A rating, not so much. B, you get the picture. Hmm. So um, you want double A ratings. You want to look at, like me, I'm 10.20 a.m. I find that reasonably reliable because they didn't say 10.30 and they didn't say 10 o'clock. They said 10.20. I feel pretty good about that time. And it does make a difference because every four minutes, it moves a degree. Every four minutes, it moves one of those 360 degrees. Because if you, uh, if you divide the 24 hours by 360, it's four. Right? Right. So it moves four minutes uh, per degree. So you kind of want to have, you kind of want to be down to the minute. Now there is, if you absolutely can't find your birth time, there's a process called rectification, chart rectification, where you have to literally reverse engineer an astrological reading. So that is to say this, an astrologer who is skilled has to look at your chart and be like, you know, has to maybe if if you said you were born on October 18th, uh, 1970, right? But you said, I didn't know the time. I have no idea what the time is. I would be like, A, I would be like, that's unfortunate. Somebody really fucked up, you know? B, I would be like, okay, I'm going to set it for noon and then we're going to tweak it, Right? So, so I would go to 101870 and I would be like, I'd set it for noon. If I was rectifying your chart, I'd set it for noon and I would ask you, tell me about your chronology and your biography. Tell me about your life. The more I knew about you, the more I could dial it into those places, you know? So I'd start at noon. I would learn as much as I can about your chronology and your biography. And I would try and reverse engineer from your character. Remember how we talked about character is represented by this stuff in signs and houses. Well, I would reverse engineer it from your character and I would try and zero in on what we call an ascendant. I would zero in on that. I would dial it in what I knew about you and what I know about astrology. I would be like, okay, Let's kind of dial it forward and backward and find what bets what best fits your chronology and biography. So it's it's an arduous, grueling process, but it can be done. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and and um to go back to the diurnal and nocturnal thing, that, that might be one of the first things that you can deduce from that dialogue back and forth with a native, from astrologer to native. If you set it for 12 noon, 
And there are some indications that say... Um, that's if they don't know their their birth time. Right. So if... Go ahead, Pat. I was just I was going to move us forward, and I was yeah. going to I was just going to ask. Okay, so the first so if you're looking at somebody's chart, the first thing you're going to look at is okay, is it? Is well, it, we look at the big three. The big three, okay. Sun, moon, ascendant. Ascendant. Ascendant being what? Define ascendant. Ascendant is the horizon, the eastern horizon line on that snapshot, that snapshot of your birth your natal chart, right? So the ascendant line, and now this is kind of where we can tie this in with <clears throat> what I was saying. I made a quick mention of last time is that um, most traditional astrologers used whole sign house system. We shouldn't get into the weeds with this at all, but the ascendant <clears throat> for, for traditional astrologers marks the first house. So where the, where the ascendant falls... Um, denotes where our first house is. In what sign a descendant falls, that the cusps of that sign are the first house. <clears throat> and and there are there's a there's an ongoing debate about house systems and what's the best to use. We, we won't get, get into, into that. that. I know we're not going to get into that. It's a huge deal, though, Pat. It is a big deal. Let me say that there's even some recent uh, intrigue and espionage and all kinds <laughs> of crazy shit going on with the. If you're into astrology, this is not news to you. You know that the house division the house debate, debate is a big deal. <clears throat> it's a big deal. So we don't have to get into that. But me but and it, Jake, it can really the, change the dynamic of a chart completely. It, it absolutely can. But I don't know. We so. Don't, Anyways, we're not going to get into that, but I'm going to assume that because we're talking about traditional astrology here. The big three. So we're talking about that the ascendant. Where, that right? The ascendant, right, this okay. ties in with that. So the ascendant, the sun, and the moon. The luminaries in the ascendant, right? Okay. You see why he says luminaries, though? Because, they're, you know, the sun and the moon provide light, whereas, you know, you get um, Venus, Mercury, Jupiter, Saturn, Mars— mm -hmm. They're not like luminaries like the sun and the moon are. So the sun and the moon, despite they are planets in the most, you know, strictest wandering, sense. wandering stars because they are wandering stars because they don't move against they don't move with the fixed stars in the zodiac. You know how if you're looking to the south and you look up at about 23 and a half degrees, you can see the constellations sort of moving, right? And all the stars and constellations, they all move, right? Well, the planets, they're wandering stars, so they move against that, actually. They're moving to the east, actually. So there's a different... That's why they're wandering stars, and that's why they qualify. The sun and the moon actually qualify as wandering stars, which is Asteris planetes. They're planets. Planets. Wandering planets. stars. And and them being luminaries, they're and and, and this is why the ascendant is, is important as well, is that these are all related to um, to the native specifically, the, the almost the persona, the character. 
of the native to something. So, so we said last episode that the first house, which is where the ascendant is, um, if if we're in a whole sign house system, um, and again, the the ascendant is the eastern horizon line at the moment of birth. Okay, that represents that first house represents the life, the character, the body. It represents the native, right? It represents the person whose natal chart that is, that first house. That's the horoscopos. That's the horoscope, the yeah. first house. That's where the ascendant falls. And what becomes really important in delineating a, na- a natal chart is the ruler of the sign which occupies the first house. So to give you an example, my... and and. This is just outside the big three, but this is, is almost just as important as my ruler of, of my, my, the sign which occupies the first house in my chart is Pisces. Mine too. Jamie's too. And the ruler, the ruling planet of Pisces is Jupiter. So I know that Jupiter is going to be extremely important in delineating some and some idea as to my character, right? The condition of Jupiter in my chart, even if it's not in its house, even if it's not in its home, in its domicile, in the first house, in Pisces, wherever it is in the chart, and its condition therein is going to be extremely important in determining some high-level understanding of my character, my life, my my body to some extent. So so not only is is the big three important, the ascendant, the this and the two luminaries, the sun and the moon, as as aspects of the character, the the planet which rules where the ascendant is, that first house is also going to be what you got well no i was just going to say that the when we say the big three we're talking about the ascendant the moon and the sun and it's just the easiest way to penetrate like a lot of people in 20th century astrology they would just go with your sun sign like for instance i'm going to ask you right now you don't know anything about anything right what's your sign cancer okay everybody knows what you're saying is that your son was in cancer you're saying your son was in cancer by saying that that's all the reason why we brought up the big three and the big three are your ascendant your sun and your moon in your natal chart right that's just a good way to get a baseline reading on the native, the subject of the natal chart, right? But like I was saying to you, what is your sign? Cancer. Okay. When you say, when you ask almost 100% of the people out in the world what their sign is, what they're giving you actually is their sun sign. That's all they're giving you. That's not an accurate portrayal of who that person is. You know, that's a relatively minuscule fraction and they're not even saying the condition of their son you know um so it's like 
They're not saying like, let's see, what's opposite Leo? Is it? Uh, I've got to do the Aquarius. So, um, so when you say your sun sign, you know, you say I'm a Cancer, you know, or if you were to say I'm an Aquarius, what's your sign? You say I'm an Aquarius. I would say, as an astrologer, I would be like, holy shit, your sun is in um, detriment right there you know i that's one of the things i would think right uh, let me go back and tell you what i mean by this most people know their sun sign when you ask somebody what's their sign they're going to give you a sign and that's their sun sign that's a that's a oversimplification of astrology it's new agey it's hippie stuff it's trash. It is garbage. It, it has made a mess out of, it really has made a mess out of astrology for a hundred years, right? That's why we're, that's why astrology is unreliable. Check this out. You know how uh, in the 70s, I, from what I understand, it was popular to go around, hey baby, what's your sign? Every, you've heard that expression, right? Hey baby, what's your sign? Well, 100% of the time, they're going to tell you your sun sign, right? Well, that has nothing to do with hooking up with anybody at a bar. That has nothing to do with sex. It has nothing to do with casual sexual hookups. It has very little to do with compatibility at all. There is no reason to ask somebody at a bar, hey, baby, what's your sign? That's astrologically idiotic. No astrologer in the world would ask somebody who they're trying to casually hook up with, what's their sun sign? Nobody would ask that. An astrologer would be like, hey, baby, what planets do you have transiting your fifth house right now? Or something like that. You know, something meaningful. You know, hey, baby, what uh, pleasures do you do you have any uh, do you have any. Um, venus mars conjunctions in the fifth or the seventh or fuck even the eighth who knows if you want to get really crazy so so the the idea here is it's a lot more nuanced yeah that's what i'm saying so okay um so when you're when you're looking at the big three what 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 do they tell you like why uh are you you're, you're looking at where I'm actually I'm I'm getting lost. I'm sorry. Jamie, take the big this three. Is, this is hard. This is hard. Uh, no, this, no, <clears throat> Pat, it's yeah, not yeah, difficult. This is not <laughs> difficult. So listen, this is easy. Okay. So a person is born with a natal chart and their planets exist on that ecliptic, I right? Get that. Yeah, yep. So so if you want a if as an astrologer you just want a quick baseline, mm -hmm. I want to know what this cat's about. Right. You know, you might look at their ascendant, which tells them about body, physique, personality, okay. persona. Mm -hmm. yeah. You might look at their sun, which tells them about ego, identity, things like that. You might look at their moon, which tells them about sort of. Uh, body emotions you know their sense of uh, attachment and you know sort of nurturing stuff you know lunar shit whatever you might look at those three just to get a baseline 
That's all. Okay. So that is a more developed baseline than merely asking what is your sign. Got it. Okay. If you ask what is your sign, what that means popularly is what sign was your son in when you're born? Mm -hmm. And that's just going to give you one of 12 things. So automatically by saying what's your sign, you're asking, um, hey, what 12 absolute personality types do you fit into? Which is retarded, right? Right. That doesn't, that's not a thing, right? And it was never a thing in astrology. That was never a thing. What is a thing is when you look holistically at the chart and you find out where all their planets are. Mm-hmm. In what, You find out where all those actors are and what wardrobe they're wearing and what, sent, what sets in which they appear and what sort of dialogue are they having. It's a holistic picture, you know? So I, I've heard you also... <clears throat> so what we've been talking about is a, a person, but I've also heard you do this for a moment in time right that don't you call that is it mundane electional electional well it it could be inceptional or electional but it's catarchic astrology okay what is that so catarchic astrology is the astrology of a certain moment Mm. right it's like so this goes beyond natal astrology 99 percent of what we ever talk about is natal astrology right Mm -hmm. But if you're into the actual, if you're, you know, proficient in astrology, you eventually move beyond your natal chart and you start thinking about things like electing a time to do something. So what that means is, um, and this is actually one of the older versions, one of the older branches of astrology. Let me get into some proto-astrology to make this point. So in the Mesopotamian cultures, they had this proto-astrology that was based on omens. So they would look and they would see, oh, the Mars, they would see like Mars is in Aries and we're having these difficulties with uh, warring factions on the terrestrial sphere. And we're going to note on our cuneiform tablets that uh, when this particular configuration happened, xyz happened on the terrestrial sphere and we're going to note that that happened we're not going to war at that time again yeah so we're going to note that this bad thing happened at this time so um, extrapolate that over centuries and you find that people end up coming up with these cuneiform tablets which tell you omenically what the most auspicious times to do something is or what the most inauspicious times to engage in whatever endeavor is so the natural extrapolation from that is okay you want to be crowned king well i guess we ought to choose an appropriate time so we engage the proper cosmic cycle because if we engage the wrong cycle obviously xyz happens so we ought to look for the most auspicious time because we want our king to be successful and to live and to, you know, have uh, ABC happen. Which came first? What came first was no, observation. I, I'm saying which came first. That the the sort of picking auspicious times for things was uh, came before natal. Oh, sure. Chart yeah. delineation. 
<clears throat> yeah, so the first astrology was what... Let's talk about branches of astrology. <clears throat> so this is massive. The first branch of astrology, proto-astrology, is what you call omenic astrology. And this is Mesopotamian. This goes back thousands of years. Literally thousands. Probably three thousand years. Um... And they said that um, there were certain celestial omens, right? Mm -hmm. This is much along the lines of your typical augury, the watching of birds in the sky. I mean, it was a simplistic, naturalistic thing to do. Uh, you just found that there was a certain configuration of planets against the fixed stars in the zodiac. And they knew about these wandering seven planets against the fixed stars. And when they saw a planet in a certain thing and they observed it, observed a certain phenomenon on the Earth, they made note of that happily, right? They really helped us out making note of those things. And when you extrapolate that over time, <clears throat> you find that they've over the years of cuneiform tablets, keeping notes of how these planets interact and things and what goes on, uh, that then all of a sudden, so after that mundane astrology, which is mundi, the world, worldly astrology, which is the first form of proto-astrology, after they have made note of many of those events and phenomena, then they then the the next natural evolution is okay well i've got something in the future i want to do so so then you get into electional astrology so you go from mundane observational to electional like wow now i want to do something that's important and i want to engage the proper cosmic cycle to make this auspicious right so then they're like, okay, in the future, I'm going to do it on this date. So I make sure to, you know, again, engage those cosmic gears to make my endeavor successful. That's electional astrology. So the order of astrology goes from mundane, observational. How does this, how does this celestial configuration affect the terrestrial sphere to electional I'm going to elect to do something at a certain time because I know that the planets are going to be in this certain configuration and it's going to be more auspicious for me based on our, our findings from before. So astrology starts with mundane. Then it goes into electional. Then it goes into natal. We start thinking about people and like, you know, you were born at this time. What cosmic cycle did you engage? Does that totally make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like that that progression is pretty intuitive. How how that how that evolved over time. Um, and uh, to to go quickly back, also to, to just tie into. I think I mentioned it last episode that. Um, a lot of the rationale for certain um, 
associations and uh, delineations were based on what were considered at the time to be very scientific. uh, Observational. Repeatable. Falsifiable. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, because because we're nearing an hour already, which is crazy. I think um, (laughs) it's so hard to get all of this into an hour. It's ridiculous. So so I I, I had one question I wanted to fit into this, and that that was to kind of tie it back to your lives. So how how does this play out in your life? Like how how does this show up in how you live your life, Mm. how you choose to live your life? So this all kind of came to fruition for me relatively recently like astrology for me is a is a new endeavor you know and say to to even say that it's been um two years probably too long i'd say for a year i've been really in the weeds with it you know um but frankly i feel like it's reinforced some of my intuition about how things work in 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 the cosmos um and and it's related to what we were talking about in the first episode uh, as a as a kind of in between from fate and free will as to say that there there is um free will so far as we're playing by the rules you know and i've and i felt that way based on certain um um mathematical and um other other scientific sort of findings however i think that astrology backs that up and that the the natal chart will provide one with a a set of of guidelines or like we said earlier you know the 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 colors on the palette you know it's not going to provide you with the whole painting so for me it was really vindicating it was nice to see um an ancient tradition that that really uh was a buttress to sort of my intuition already however i think what was really sort of world rocking to me was the idea that it was as deterministic as it as it really is um but at the same time it, it it allowed me to find some level of comfortability in because when you I, I don't know if Jamie if you went through the same thing but when I'm when I'm learning I'm using my own chart as a reference sure. point you know everybody does yeah so I'm using my own chart as I'm going through all this you know as I learn new stuff I'm popping back to my own chart so really you're learning about yourself as you're learning astrology or at least you should be if you want to learn about astrology erect your own chart and use it as your reference point because it's really going to blow a lot of that wide open for you it's going to be nice to learn about your predispositions and all that but what I'm to, to, to wrap that all up is that it um it was it was nice to know exactly where i can rely on uh for my successes you know it was nice to know where i will likely find uh, comfortability and um and and relative success in my life and it was nice to know where i can count on having some level of um difficulty 
in my life in terms of the different topics that play out in my life and and even when to some extent so it almost is like a cheat code in that you can kind of figure out okay i know i'm i'm just just to give you a a trivial example i'm never going to be an athlete i might as well not you know or a professional athlete i might as well not spend my time practicing some specific call it baseball for for uh nine hours a day it's just not going to happen or so i mean again it's very trivial example but um for (laughs) me it really it really felt like a cheat code and that i i i had some objective outside perspective on my own predispositions that weren't biased from my friends or my family or myself, right? It gave me a, uh, it was a lens with which to peer into my life from a perspective that wasn't uh, of my own or anyone I knew. And to have that leg to stand on is to me it feels like a, like a cheat code like i said it's really nice to see where exactly i know certain things are are playing out generally and where um not only where they're playing out but ha- how you know for for better or for worse give me about you how how, do, how does this affect your life how do you incorporate this into your your choices that you make so if I mean, specifically, if there's any big decisions I have in my life, um, I will certainly check my transits. You know, that is to say, the current planets against my natal placements, you know, which is too technical to get into right now. But that's that's a thing I will look at if I've got something big going on. But uh, the biggest change in my life was the, um, you know, again, that paradigm shift that I experienced from thinking that the world is a solipsistic Kantian projection of my psyche out into space, you know, and everything has something to do with me or everything is my projection. Um, and the the subsuming of that into me thinking oh my god uh like these planets have their own agendas to fulfill that's divorced from how i think or feel about how they should play out and they're going to do that and i am subject to in some regard to the agendas of the planets you know and that i'm actually a member of a cosmic system that is much larger and much more meaningful than my closed circuit closed caption version of life you know what i mean like i'm i'm a participant in a cosmic drama that exceeds me, you know? Oh, I love that. You're participating. Sure. That's a great way to put it. Well, there's some magic in there. And the reason why I say participatory, because if you, if you know that you're participating, 
and many people don't, if you know that you're participating, that is, those are the provisions for magical and theurgical, right. astrotheurgical activity. And and here's the great analogy for that. And this isn't mine. And this, I think I heard this from Brennan, Chris Brennan. Is that, you know, if if you went your entire life without understanding your your own natal chart and 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 everything that comes with it it's sort of like um being in a carriage controlled by the horses that represent your predispositions and 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 everything that's represented in your natal chart however learning to control those horses or learning to um to be able to 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 navigate via the the horse's energy and um uh direct the horses along your along the ride right is is learning your own astrological makeup so um you know the horses are still the horses they still carry the power that they carry and they they're still ultimately much stronger than you are however um learning to be able to to sort of and, and this this implies i will admit this implies some theurgical process this implies that that you can mitigate this fate to some extent which I next do, episode which is I do theurgy, believe. right? Yeah, let's get into theurgy. Now, next theurgy episode, but doesn't I think... have to be astrological. No. So, but the next thing should be theurgy because that's the next the mitigation of fate. I mean, right. ultimately, the that's mitigation what it is. of fate, like whether that's astrological or not. It's um, you're controlling the carriage at that point. Right. So, all right, what Thank do you, you think? We should get, we get I, into I, some uh, recommended books and that sort of thing for this um, stuff. Yeah. Yeah, d- d- we're running long. On yeah, we're this. running kind of long. On yeah, this we're one. already over let's, an hour. Let's let's, uh, let's get some books in because we'll we didn't give it. any books in the last oh, episode. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so um, definitely, definitely, uh, Hellenistic Astrology by Chris Brennan. Um, Demetra George has two great books: Ancient Astrology on it, Ancient volumes astrology. one and two. And uh, Benjamin Dykes has anything, some great translations. Anything by Benjamin Dykes. Yeah. Um, Outside of that, again, like we said in the last episode, don't throw out the psychological stuff. Yeah. I think that... um, Oh, and certainly anything by Christopher Warnock as well. I will say that right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, great Renaissance astrologer, great with horary, um, great with theurgical stuff. He's actually a magician. We didn't get unlike Unlike Chris Brennan... Uh, unlike um, uh, Benjamin, well, Benjamin Dykes might be, but unlike Chris Brennan and Demetra George, I think Christopher Warnock actually is where the rubber meets the road in terms of uh, sort of translating all of this astrological data into actionable yeah. magic. Yeah. Well, he if, does that. If you want to get way into the weeds, I'll recommend the Astrology Podcast. That's Chris Brennan's podcast. There's literally top is recorded hundreds of episodes. What's that uh, called? The Astrology Podcast. 
yeah, easy to find. It's probably the most popular one out there. Nice. Um, so if you if if this is something that sparks your interest, check that out. He he's always got other astrologers on as well, and um, and has covered basically any topic you want to learn about. All right, cool. Well, thanks thanks everybody for listening, and we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up there, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll get together and do a couple more uh, sooner than later. We'll see you soon. Bye. You'll hear us soon.